are back with another Think Deeper this week. It's going to be a little bit different, a little shorter than normal. We didn't want to leave you guys without an episode for a week here, uh, and we're about to hit our, our end of year schedule hard. We've got some great stuff coming, but right now, Will is currently uh, hiking volcanoes or something in Hawaii. Uh, Lucky dog. I'm sitting amidst a pile of boxes, uh, about ready to pack up my house from Texas and, and get to Tennessee. Uh, Joe, as always, has a million things going on, uh, and so back in Colorado for a time. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're in Colorado. You're not even home right now, and so we've got uh, got a lot going on. Not really uh, our standard episode. Will's not going to be with us this week again out there in Hawaii, and so Joe and I want to do a shorter episode in which we kind of push on each other a little bit. We've we've discussed so much over the year of Think Deeper, and so this is going to be a bit of a grab bag episode of uh, a few different topics, but we're going to chase some rabbits of things we've talked about, maybe clarify, go a little bit more in depth on those things. Um, and then next week, we're going to be back to talk Halloween. Uh, that's a, a thing that a lot of Christians have questions about, of should we celebrate it? Where, where do we stand on that? And so uh, I'll give you a little spoiler. We do not, all three of us, do not agree on this. Yes. That, that, We've talked about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm very excited to put these guys in their place. So um, we'll be back <laughs> sure, to our normal uh, three-man sure. schedule next week. But again, uh, Joe and I are just kind of getting on to, to put something out. Uh, we didn't, again, we've got so many good topics we want to cover, and we didn't want to cover them without Will. And so it's like, eh, let's just, let's talk some some loose ends, I guess, more than anything else. And so the format here is, I told Joe, come up with three questions you're going to ask me based on things we've talked about, based on things you know uh, I want to talk about or I'm passionate about. I'm going to ask you three questions, and that's that. So uh, anything to add before we get into it? No, no, I don't think so. All right. Uh, you want to lead or you want me go to? Go for it. All right. And yes, we, we have not pre-screened these questions, so these are you are getting them as Jack is getting them. He does not know what I'm going to ask and vice versa. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. You are heading into your last week of preaching. <clears throat> and as a as a minister, um, not to say that that won't happen in the future, but at least for the time being. And I'm curious, looking back, what advice... We have a preacher crisis, right? Mm -hmm. seems like we have a preacher crisis. We're having a tough time filling pulpits. A lot of people don't want to preach. What advice would you give to young preachers starting out and to the churches, because a lot of times we get the advice of the preachers, but what advice would you give to the churches in helping young preachers? You've been in ministry for about a, close to a decade now. And I also, you know, I remember the days back in Pritchett. I'm curious what advice you would give and how that might, I, I kind of wanted to open into a broader discussion of the preacher crisis, what we might be able to do about it, but specifically aim toward the advice you'd give churches with a young preacher and a young preacher starting out yeah the the preacher crisis thing i hate to talk about it because i'm part of it right i'm i'm a minus one on the statistics um of taking one out of the pulpit and so on the other hand from that sense i'm also uh very much qualified to talk about why what you know what's going on and I mean, part of it is just the economic climate right now. It's very hard to raise a family on a preacher's salary, um, on on what churches have. You know, contribution has gone down in the last two years, and so. But it's not all about money. Um, th there's just a lot going on. I started at 23 years old, uh, or 24. I think I turned uh, 24 right after I, I began preaching, and. I look back on it and kind of think, why on earth did anybody <laughs> let me take a pulpit and run with it? And uh, so what I would say to preachers, especially bringing on young guys, is, or what I would say to leadership churches is give them a lot of support and give them a lot of structure. Um, I, I kind of got there and it was, all right, here's the schedule. We expect you to teach and preach on on these times Sundays and Wednesdays have your lessons ready someone's in the hospital go see them and other than that you know just try and bring people in um some guys come out of preaching school hot fired with a full plan evangelism programs everything they want to do there's going to need to be more of that structure for young guys but just in general uh, I think uh, and and this isn't a complaint I have against Forney. They have supported us so well. The elders have been, you know, very uh, loving towards us. You know, very much, uh, very kind to my family. The whole church has supported us so well. But I, I think that's just something that I talk about in church reset. That there's that divide sometimes between church members and church leaders. 
try and blend that. Uh, try and, and uh, well, blur that, I guess I should say, as much as is possible. Make them part of your family. Don't do the glass house thing. Allow them to, uh, you know, not be perfect people. Obviously, you want them to be an example, but you want them to be people that, that don't feel like they are on their own and separate from everybody else. And again, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I've, I've had a lot of that kind of treatment, and it's, and it's nice. Um, on the other side of it, I think I would say give the guy structure, but also don't be open to, uh, not don't, but, but you should be open to uh, what he has to bring to the table. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a sports guy. Everything comes back to sports analogies. And we see this a lot in the NFL where a team will hire a coach and then bring him in. You know, okay, well, he interviewed. We like his ideas. We like his, his style. And then he comes in and they're like, all right, you have to coach this way. This is how it's going to be. I'm like, well, why did you hire him? Why did you bring him in? And I think that's something that uh, in talking to preacher friends and talking to preachers that have left the pulpit that they're running into a lot is they come on and they think, oh, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to work this. And they're told, no, 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 no. We don't like that. We've, all, we've never done it that before, way before. Or we've always done it this way. And, and so just do this. Just stay chained to the desk office hours, which again, that's not something I've dealt with, but not, a lot of guys have. And they're like, well, I want to be out in the community. I want to connect with people. No, no, no. You got to put in your office hours, keep your logbook. Dude, don't hire a guy if you're not comfortable with, with how he's going to be. And so I think a lot of guys are not set up for success. They're, they're set up for failure and that they want to come in and, and really bring some energy into the church. And they're told, no, 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 don't do that. No, we can't do that because of this. Well, you know, so-and-so wouldn't like it. When you bring somebody in, you're bringing your, your change is part of it. And, and if, if you're not ready for change, you're really not ready to bring that minister in. And so, um, church leaders, I think that's a, a way to set people up for success as preachers. You know, I think a lesson I've, I've learned and I, I every preacher learns is change is going to be a lot slower than you think. Um, you know, if you're coming in hot fired and all right, we're going to fix all of these things. Well, take your time, realize people are not moving as fast as, as you are on these things. And that's okay as long as there's that give and take, you know, if I'll be patient if you're willing to come along with me. And, and so both sides need to be on the same page in that sense. Um, does that make sense as far as being set up for failure, set up for success? Yeah, it really does. It really does. I was, we were talking with some friends just last night. I was previewing the questions I would ask you. And that's one of the things that they said is we're, we're having a tough time filling pulpits or keeping preachers or whatever else. And I think all of those things are very legitimate, what you just said. And I think there's a lot of guys that that do get burnt out. I think there's a, as you said, the financial aspect for sure um, <clears throat> comes into play. And I think the instability of getting fired. And that's another thing that I might add to the church is though I'm a new new preacher. I've been preaching for a long time, but not in a, you know, pulpit, um, in a, in a, you know, every week. But, uh, the instability, I think, really gets a lot of people too. Of like, well, if I preach this, all right, hold on, because that's one of my three questions towards you is about joining the rank of minister. I was going to go oh the boy, other direction. Oh boy. I kind of figured we were going to okay. be passing, you know, on that one. Okay, um, good stuff. One other thing I'd add is, as ministers, this is a hard one, and it's something I wish I knew at the start of both of my ministries. Is you're hired as the preacher. There, like, there's a certain expectation from people that you're going to like shove your way into their lives and it feels weird to be the guy that's doing that you know it's kind of it's very easy to come into a place and be like well they'll come to me no you've got to go to them you've got to be in their home you've got to invite them into your house you've got to and and there's sometimes a reluctance that's something that we ran into a little bit here is a reluctance of like what what's going on here you want to hang out with me you want to uh, no 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 i'm not I, I don't i'm not comfortable you know hanging out with the preacher kind of thing that's your job, you know, and, and the people who are, you know, straying, the people whose attendance is bad, drive them crazy. Call them every week. Hey, missed you. Where are you? Where are you? I, I've, I feel like I've done such a poor job of that, of, you know, just being that person and letting them know I'm here. I'm here for you. I, I you know, I want to connect with you. And if if somebody doesn't want that, that it make make it very clear it's their choice. But sometimes it's it's very easy to wait for people to come to you, and they're waiting for you to come to them, and those lines never cross. You never, you know, somebody's got to make the first move, and it's like, well, as the preacher, you're the one not only paid to make the first move, but kind of commissioned by God to make that move to say, hmm. I'm going to insert myself into your life. And so um, 
that's something I wish I had done a better job of. And I, I would really encourage guys to do is, you, you know, I know you're staying up at night thinking about the, you know, those couple of families that just haven't been there in three months. Call them. Call them every week. And and they will either start coming back or they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll just stop answering your calls. They won't, And then it's kind of like, it's a write-off. Talk to the elders, talk to the church leadership and say, hey, these people aren't here. Let's kind of make a decision on, are they even members anymore? And, you know, kind of there, there comes a time to move on. If, if they've made it clear, I'm not interested in connection with the church, make that their decision, not yours. And so, and other people, you know, faithful members that you just want to get to know better, go get to know them better. Tell them on Sunday, I want to come visit you this week. What day is good? What time is good? You know, or let's go grab coffee or, or whatever it is. And yeah, I that's something that I, I would highly encourage. The, the degree to which I did it was great. The degree to which I didn't, I would, I regret. Yeah, that's a regret. I know we probably need to move on to another question, but I do have a follow-up. This is not one of the three. Sure. You are an introverted guy. Yeah. A lot of the preachers I know are very introverted. Probably the majority. They're just not... The majority, I think, and and for something that you know, it's a job that is heavily into Bible study, into the Word, you know, pulling out a lot of cool things, and so it makes sense that a lot of left brain, uh, maybe introverted guys that just love digging into the Word of God, would gravitate toward this. At the same time, as you're talking, you're also kind of paid and, and commissioned to go out and be more extroverted, and it's, I know there's a difference, but. What advice, or or I guess, how did you overcome that? Because I think you've done so much better at this, and I know, I grew up with you, I know how introverted you were. It's like you wouldn't, you know, didn't want to look people in the eye, and you're way different, but that's been the growth of the nine years. What did you do to fix the introverted problem, and what advice would you give to the preachers? Like I said, I think the majority are. What advice would you give them to help break out of that? You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got uh, was a friend that said, and he started every Monday morning reading First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And you just read those, and it's like, this is the job. This like, mm. this is what I signed up for. I have to do these things. And and being involved in the part of in in the li- in the the homes in the lives and in in just in who people are is what you're here to do. And so there's a degree to which it doesn't get easy, but there's another degree to which it's like this, this is what I do, you know, and, uh, there are less pleasant parts of the job. The easiest thing to do and the real tempting thing to do in ministry is stick to the parts you're really good at and that you really enjoy. You know, I became a preacher because people are like, you know what, you, you teach a pretty good lesson. I understand the Bible when you talk about it. And, uh, you know, that, that's a, a, a gift that you have or whatever. Okay. But that's not the, the whole job. And it's That's very easy it, to yeah. stay confined to that. If I'll prepare lessons, I'll get up and, and speak them. You got to visit. You got to call. You got to talk. You got to insert yourself into their lives. And and that's the challenging part. And again, uh, you know, there's there's a degree to which you force yourself to do it and you get better. But there's also a degree of there's always going to be somebody that's better at that. We're we're di- given different gifts, but maybe if you lead in that way, you can also bring along the people who have those gifts. And so, um, one of the things easy. I love that you do. Not to cut you off, one of the things I love that you do, though, is you got Latham Bakery in Forney, right? You'd go there, I don't know if it was every day, but it was a lot. And you got their coffee deal where you could just fill up your your coffee mug for a buck or whatever it is and, and get the Latham one. And you know, like, everybody on staff. And I feel like that's kind of a good start for the introvert is show up every have day. Have a place, yeah. Show, have a place, have a place. And just get working on understanding people's names their shifts, you know, you see them come in, oh, they're the 3 p.m. shift, you know, they know, you know, they're going to be at 3 p.m. every day, you go in, you buy a cookie from them, don't, you know, not too many cookies, you know, right. you know, <laughs> you don't want to be me, but, um, like, you get to know people, and I thought that was the coolest thing, is when I came to visit you, we walked in, it's like, hey, you know, Stephanie, or whatever, you know, and you're dropping names, and everybody knows Jack, and it's like, wow, that's really cool, because you inserted yourself in a place that was, you know, big in the community, you talk to people there, you also, and, and not just the employees, you ended up talking to people that were, you know, patrons there. And I thought that was really cool. And also I, I felt like a really good way for an introvert maybe to slowly start making connections where you just show up every day. Everybody can drink a cup of coffee in the same place and occasionally have them, you know, you start learning people's names and it's a good way to slowly build is, is what I was thinking. But no, I think that's good stuff. Yeah. No, as an introvert, you, you, you got to kind of do the, the training wheels version of it sometimes, evangelism, outreach, everything else. Um, so let's flip the question. What's something you didn't appreciate about the role of minister? As you said, you've been preaching for, I mean, like, since you were four, you know, <laughs> like, but uh, 
uh, you know, uh, really preaching for over a decade now. But as far as actual in the pulpit almost every week, that's about a year that you've been doing it. What's something you didn't appreciate about the role that maybe ministers, or not not ministers, a lot of that last discussion was towards ministers and elders. This might be for members, something that, hey, you know, appreciate this about your, about your minister. This is a, a struggle. This is something they're thinking about that you don't realize. This is something to pray for them about, something like that that you would tell members Hey, uh, this is something about ministry I didn't know before. That's such a good question. Uh, of course, you put me on the spot, and now I'm stumped. Uh, so, I would say I can't say enough good things about my church, at Jackson Temple. Um, I don't even think it's the the usual. Will Will was was the preacher before um, he moved down to Alabama and really prepared them for a lot of a lot of things, difficult discussions and such. And so, I would say I don't have the typical track of a preacher where when I came in, they were like very okay with young preachers. They'd had well, but they were also very prepped in some some difficult things and ready to discuss some difficult things. But I would say, hmm, oh, that's so that's such a good question. So first off, for the preachers, and I had known this, but you learn it even more when you get into ministry. Every member has something that they bring to the table that when you really start working with them, um, you ju- you're blown away. You know, and I, I've told the story here on the podcast before, but like Miss Myra, and she just comes out with that mental health take of, you know, it's it's the reality. And it just stuck with me so much of it being us trying to align ourselves with reality. And I thought, boy, that's brilliant. And what you learn is there are a lot of people in your congregation that are a lot smarter than you or have different beliefs or different takes that they've studied quite a bit. And it's very easy to come in and be like, well, I got Bible degrees and I, you know, I got this and I got that. And you're just humbled at you know, little Miss So-and-so or, or Mr. So-and-so who's been studying their Bible for 60 years knows a lot and they're, they're different than you. They believe different than you and that's okay. And so you can get into some good biblical discussions, but it also humbles you to go in and say, okay, maybe I shouldn't run over people here. Like maybe I should respect everybody from, you know, whether they got a Bible degree or not does not matter. You got some really knowledgeable people in each church. Um, and so that's something that I, I guess I've appreciated more is just sounds so mean, but kind of the average member. You figure you're going to go in and yeah, there's going to be some upper echelon that, that know everything. No, no, everybody matters. And that has definitely come through for me even more. And I, I knew it on a logical level, but like emotionally, it's connecting now. Um, for the members, I would say, this isn't exactly what you're, you're asking, but I think as you talked about kind of the direction one of the things I initially came in and did is I asked, like, okay, what classes, what sermons do you want? Because I think there can there can be, I think for, talk to your preacher is the thing. And I have a lot of this, but I think a preacher can get on a roll and he can get on a hobby horse or he can be preaching the same thing. Talk to your preacher. Say, you know, can we get a lesson on, on X, Y, or Z? Can we, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Challenge them a little bit. And I think that was really helpful when I just sat down and I took a Wednesday night and I said, okay, what do we want to study for the next long time? You know, what what kind of classes do you want to cover? And it really helped me get an understanding of where people are at. Because as a young preacher, it's difficult to know where people are at. You come in with this idea of, okay, well, this is what the struggles are in the culture. They're not struggling with those same things. They're struggling with different things. And so to just sit down and listen and be like, oh, I didn't even consider that as an option. I would have never taught a class on that in a million years. But they wanted it. You know, they thought that was cool. And so that's that's a piece of advice I'd give to Members and preachers alike is preachers be open to that. That's something that, again, new into ministry here has been important for me to learn because, man, I'm not good at topical sermons. Uh, But some of the things that they wanted were more on the topical end, and I knew that that's what I needed to cover some of those things, and so it helped me grow. But it also gives them an input of like, okay, we're getting there. We're all on the same page here. So um, I don't know if that fully answers the question, but that's... No, I like that idea about talk to your ministers because it's something I'm sure you deal with when you uh, counsel couples for marriage, the unspoken expectations thing. Oh, you yeah. know, why are they not doing this? Why why are they not doing the dishes? Why are they not cleaning up this, that, or the other? Why are they not... I didn't know. Like, we, we didn't have the conversation about who was supposed to do that. And I think sometimes that can happen. You know, well, why is the preacher not preaching about these things that matter to me? just talk to him you know why I've got this thing going in my life what do I do about it well ask and then the other thing for preachers as part of that is I would say and you got at this a little bit uh, you know at the preaching school some of the things we talk about um, 
some of the things we get into, uh, the, if you spend your time online, the, the hot topics, the things that, oh, man, the, the battle is raging on this, your members don't care about it. You know, I had uh, a guy, I, I got uninvited from a, a speaking gig over uh, the summer, a uh, summer series thing, because a friend of mine taught a certain doctrine. And I mean, just a fringe minor, like not, I think I've talked about this before. It's just not a high level thing. And not not even me, but because a friend of mine did. And he's like, well, what do you think about it? I said, I don't even talk about that subject here because it's so so unnecessary. But it's all, right. I mean, like there have been whole lectureships held on this subject and all that. And I said, I, I, why am I, why should I care about that? You know, I've got people who are going to get fired from their job if they don't use the right pronouns for the little boy who decided he's a little girl. Let's talk about the things where, where people really are. And so, you know, to your point, Communicate to your, your minister, hey, this is what we're going through because, man, that office really can become an ivory tower where you're involved in the highest of theological debates that don't matter to anybody in the pews. And so in the pews, you know, help your preacher out by letting him know, here's what we're fighting. Here's what we need to know. Here's the real hands-on nitty-gritty uh, of what's going on here. So I think that was an interesting takeaway you have there. Um and the importance, before I move on, and the importance, I think, of visiting. We've had some members come and go. Um, had some that have, I think, gotten stronger and some that have unfortunately either left for other congregations or just fallen away. And I think the importance of something my church is great at is writing notes, little notes to everybody. Hey, we miss you. Uh, putting in phone calls, things like that. And that's something I had never really appreciated before and how important that is. And I know that's kind of like, well, duh, you're, you're the preacher. Um, but that goes a long way, I think, in just letting people know, like, we care about you. We miss you. We want you here. Go visit them. Take a take a little time. Is it awkward to go visit somebody who left your church? Maybe over something you preached? Yeah, it is. Take another member. I got Brother Daryl. He goes with me. You know, he's 76. I mean, I cannot respect the guy more. And he goes and kind of showed me the rope. Uh, showed me the ropes. And um, so, yeah, that, the, that would be the other advice that I would give, the other piece of advice. If you have an older member at your congregation who's wise, who's either been through some things, whatever, Brother Daryl's preached, he's been an elder. I mean, he's he knows so much. Like, learn from them, um, partner up with them, get mentored by them, uh, figure those things out, because he's the one that asked me, hey, let's go visit. It's like, why did I not ask him to go visit? But that's just, you know, he's so great about it. But yeah, we've been visiting a couple times, and it matters, and it makes a difference. And you get to know where people truly are. And we got some prayer requests out of it. And so yeah, it's just things like that, that I think are, that can be neglected. Um, But yeah, use, lean on the wisdom, especially for young preachers, lean on the wisdom. I'm learning that a lot more the wisdom of the elders of your of your church and he's not an elder in our church hopefully one day um but the elders in terms of the elderly i should say right um okay well and on the member thing about visiting cards and stuff like that it's one of the greatest things in the world as a preacher when you go to make a visit and three members have already been there to see the person like they beat you to it because it's very easy if you're the only person doing it for somebody to say well you're paid to do it like you're only here because it's your job but if it's, hey, we're all a family, we're all doing this for each other, uh, I think that really sends a message. And so um, definitely uh, an important thing for members. All right, uh, we said it'd be a shorter episode. That never works. Uh, I know. So round two, no, I guess we're back to your turn. Yes. Okay, so you have been writing for Focus Press for 12 11 years. 11 years. Almost 11 years. years. Yeah, going on 12 years. Um, you would... I think recently come out of Bear Valley. You've been out a little bit. But my question, I'm curious, what is the biggest theological shift you have made since coming out of Bear Valley and specifically in your writing? Because a lot of people that have are listening to this, I'm sure, are very familiar with your blogs. You've had some that are just thousands and thousands and thousands. Um, they've really gone out there. But what's the biggest theological shift that you've made since Bear Valley days and since you started writing for Focus? Man, <laughs> that's that's being put on the spot. I would think it, it's really something in the last three years. And I honestly, I've had people comment on uh, the change. People that really thought I was great a few years ago don't think I am anymore. Some people who maybe didn't pay attention a few years ago like or, or weren't interested now, you know, enjoy it a little bit better. It's, I want to put this the right way. Um, a... Putting a value on proper division. Does that make sense? Of, um, you know, it used to be very much like 
we're all on the same team. Nobody's an enemy. Nobody's a bad guy. You know, even even the the people who hate God the most, you know, are are just I, I don't know, just kind of that uninformed if they knew better kind of thing if we gave them a chance you know if we as christians do our part everyone's gonna you know like we're they're they're gonna come flowing into the church they're gonna love god it's just not that way the bible tells us it's not that way the bible tells us human nature is not that way and what you see with jesus uh is repeatedly drawing lines in the sand and saying who's on this side who's on this who's with me and who's who's not and it's not a pat on the back thing, because I, I think sometimes that's one of the reasons we're hesitant. And one of the reasons I was hesitant is it feels prideful to be like, I'm on Jesus' side. But there is a degree to which it is that way. And a lot of the New Testament is that. You know, John talks about they went out from us, but they weren't of us in First John. And that indicates that, and he talks about in First John, you can know that we have eternal life. And so he's saying, we know we're God's people. We know we're, we're in in the family of God, and we know that some people aren't. We know some people have left us. We know that some people are against us. Jesus in John 15 about the world's going to hate you, and you know they hate you because they hated me. And so you you see that, and you realize you know, there's a proper place for division. There's a proper place for good fences for the church. I've been talking about this a lot at Forney, of putting up the right fences. And those right fences are the best thing in the world for the people inside the fences. For the faithful brethren who are trying to please God, they know what are the proper bounds of doctrine, what they can believe, what they can't believe, what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, and they can operate within that. They can live their lives within that. And it's very important for church leadership to set those fences you don't put them in too close, you know, with legalism and make it too small. You don't put them out too wide where the wolves are able to get in, you know, and, and you've in, encircled the wolves inside the fence. There are wolves. I mean, Paul in Acts 20, there's wolves that you've got to guard your congregation against. There's there's threats. There are people whose intentions aren't good. There are people whose intentions are good, but what they're doing is is going to lead people astray. You know, Apollos's have to be corrected. Um and so the the drawing of lines, I, I think I was, I wasn't ecumenical, but I was a little more soft on, you know, let's, let's just not view anybody as, as bad guys. Let's not view anybody as enemies. Well, Jesus said, love your enemies. You know what that requires is recognizing that you have them. Um, and, and you, that's also about personal enemies. You read the Psalms about God's enemies and the people that have set themselves against God. The Bible takes a different tone towards those kinds of people. Uh, and there, I mean, you look at the world around us, and, and that's really the thing that it, it reached a breaking point. The cognitive dissonance was too great where I'm like, I can't look at these and say these are well-meaning people who just haven't been steered the right direction. When you look at this stuff with transgender surgeries on kids, abortion right. and, and right. just the stories you know of they know what they're doing they're they're just chopping them limb from limb that this awful and and they go out and they celebrate it and they know what it is it's not ignorance it's we know and we don't care and and you look at the book of judges you look at the canaanites you look at you know all the evil people in the old testament and i i think that's a big part of it is the more old testament literate you get the more you realize god has a problem with some people you don't want to be one of those people and you want to preach the gospel to those people. You don't want to be Jonah and say they don't deserve it. But you also want to say, I'll preach the gospel to them, but I'm also not going to pretend that, hey, we're all the same. It just doesn't work that way. What are your thoughts on imprecatory psalms oh boy. being given today? <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's very much, from the same motivation, a, a tendency to avoid those because, well, who are we to pray those things that was inspired we're not david we're not god we're uh called ju god's judgment onto the evil right but yeah. you know when you see these evil doctors these evil scientists people that are they're doing really bad stuff i you know you pray god i i hope they would come to repentance but if they don't I, I mean, as it says shatter their teeth stop these people these are evil people harming innocent people innocent children that's I, like that's an abomination to God, and it's okay for us to say it's an abomination to God. And you've got the Andy Stanley types, and, and unfortunately, a lot of Church of Christ preachers love Andy Stanley, who tells us, boy, God was awful mean in the Old Testament. Let's stay away from that. No, it, it puts your perspective in the right place that, man, God has a real problem with some of this stuff that's going on. There's a reason Sodom and Gomorrah got melted down. There's a reason God told them, 
go in and wipe out the Canaanites. It wasn't, hey, they're they're camping on the land that I want to give to you guys. You go all the way back to Genesis 15. He says, I'm going to wait until the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. I'm going to give them all this time, and when it's too bad to handle anymore, you guys are going to be the judgment that comes on them. People putting their, setting their children on fire as sacrifices, things like that. Truly awful. And, and God, God's judgment on them was, you don't get to be a people anymore. You're done. And not that we're going to go out and kill these doctors or anything like that, but it's okay to pray, God, shut these people down. Stop this evil that's going on. And again, that makes a lot of Christians squeamish, but it is a significant part of the Bible that treats evil that way. I like that. And as we've talked about on this podcast a couple times, people go, okay, that's Old Testament. Well, again, we're not Pelagian. No, which um, uh, Martian. We're not Martianites saying the Old Testament God was different, mean, and and New Testament God is a different God, a better God. We don't do that. That's a heresy. Number two, as we've brought up a few times, read Revelation. Jesus running around with a sword, shattering people just like the Old Testament talks about. It's not changed. It's just that he's being patient and storing that up for that final day. And it's going to happen again. And so you have to accept that side of Jesus. And it gives you the appreciation of the sacrifice of Christ that God's wrath was poured out. Think about his wrath was the same wrath that allowed them to go in and shatter the Amorites and Ammonites and Philistines and all of the other ones and to wipe them down, women, children, everything. That's God's wrath, and it was all poured out on Christ in that sacrifice. And so it gives you a greater appreciation for that, but also for the coming Christ, as you said, that it's storing up for that day. And so I think that's really good. And something that I've been thinking about that I think I've changed on is... I don't know, you may have a question like this, but I, I'll i kind of give it here. Um, that I was thinking as you were talking about it, yes, the division outside of being able to call evil, evil, and to kind of call God's judgment out on that, but also I feel like, and this is a, a real mean one, but kind of wiping the dust off your feet of those in the church that aren't all about it. That And, and that sounds mean and divisive as well. It sounds like, well, we want everybody. We want to get as many people as possible. And I think that's where I changed a lot is like, you know, we want people that are all in on the gospel. We want to help them be all in on the gospel. Some are on milk. That's okay. We want to we want to nourish them to the point where they can accept meat. But if you are in that transition teaching things and they go, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just not there. Um, you study with them. You help them. You pray for them. You visit them. You, you try to help them as much as possible. But I think there is a moment at which you wipe the dust off your feet and say they clearly don't want it. It's kind of, we've talked about it before, the holiness mountain of as you go up the holiness mountain, the air gets more rarefied. And, and again, that's not that's not a prideful thing. It's God that is getting no, us up the holiness mountain. That's exactly it. It um, has nothing to do with me being a, a good person on my own. It has everything to do with as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and as we are looking at ways to better glorify God and be holier for him, be more Christ-like, we will have to give up and sacrifice some of the things, you know, those movies that we used to watch and things like that. And you will find almost everybody has a threshold at which point they go, they're real tested. Man, I don't know that I want to do this. I don't know that I want to give that up. And depending on which way they fall, which includes everybody has this question to ask. Everybody has that threshold. Are we going to push past it and trust in God and allow the spirit to do its work in our lives? Or are we going to hold fast to that and go, nope, I'm not doing it. Modesty is a big one, right? We've talked about it. So at, at that point, when they've shown, I don't want to continue up this mountain. I am stuck in my ways. I'll go to a different church or whatever it may be that's more loving. Um, that sounds horrible. Like, yes, we're very loving. We do. We definitely are not trying to push people out of the church, but we are calling ourselves a greater holiness because that's what God calls us to. And so I think that's part of it that also seems like very divisive that I've changed on is sometimes it's not better to have 5,000 members that don't care about Christ than to have 20 members who are all about it. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I hammer John 6 so much of Jesus had the crowd. He didn't want the crowd. He wanted the real followers. Um, the other thing about this is it sounds so harsh. And again, we're we're always catering to that lowest common denominator person who doesn't want to try, but maybe if we keep them around long enough, they'll they'll open up to it. That's not how Jesus viewed it. Again, John 6, he tells most of them, this is how it's going to be, like it or leave it. And then he comes back around and says, my sheep know my voice and they hear my voice. If somebody is, you know, just that like, living a life of sin and man they're they're not in holiness they're not you know they're they're that lowest common denominator person at this point in their life um but they have the heart for it they're going to hear his voice and a call to holiness is going to be beautiful to them they're going to say i'm not there you know as we all do and say you know what i've i've got a, such a long way to go but 
that is is beautiful toward them. If they don't have the ear for it, if they're not listening for his voice, you know, we can't change the voice. We can't say, well, okay, well, we'll, we'll just mute Jesus's voice because you don't like it and give you a different voice that you do like. It doesn't work that way. And so what you're doing is not only keeping out the people who don't care, but you're you're encouraging the people who are on the inside saying there is something worth going. Keep going, keep going, keep going. When you play the lowest common denominator, you're telling everybody, let's just hang out here at base camp. This is good enough. This is as, as holy as it gets, and we don't need to try any harder because it's going to make people feel bad if they're not that, and, and it's going to cut our numbers down. And so you're not only allowing in people who and, – and giving them a false sense of hope – for eternity, which is very, very bad, but you're also hindering and limiting the people who truly want to seek Jesus and want want to go higher. Um, all right, so I'm going to go to yours next. Uh, so uh, it's it's become a running joke on uh, Think Deeper. Hot takes with Joe. Um, I probably have some hot takes, but I'm not as uh, forthcoming with them sometimes. Or you're the one who says something, and Will and I go, "Oh man, <laughs> we're gonna." <laughs> We're going to have to do, have do to the cleanup this? here. Yeah. Um, I don't mind it, though. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, and I think it's important that we have discussions that, that move things forward a little bit, that the challenge status quo thinking and all that. On the other hand, uh, if, if I remember uh, Dad saying one time when we were younger, you know, you can't just push the spicy parts of the burrito. you gotta, <laughs> you got to, you know, have the whole dish there. Uh, it can't just be all spice all the time. And, and so, but I think a lot of people are very hesitant towards that um where's uh, when, introducing these kinds of discussions introducing hot takes introducing controversy or whatever else where do you think the balance is on that as as christians that maybe we need some of that but we also need to be careful because i, I think people see change and the idea of hey we're doing something wrong we need to change as a threat um on the other hand as restorationists, that's kind of baked into who we are, right? Is if the Bible gives us a, a if there's a more biblical way to do it, we need to do it. Um, and so, you know, especially, I, I guess this is another one of those things that goes to where you're actually in ministry, in a pulpit, you know, and I think some of your members listen to think deeper. Um, how does that play out? Because it's a lot easier to get onto a microphone to a faceless audience and say, ah, oh, we should do this. But when you have to have these conversations in real life, um, how has the hot takes thing played out? How What's the reception towards that, I guess, is, is where I'll start this question. Yeah, um, the reception actually has been pretty good. And there's been, and this is, once again, I love my congregation for it because I do say some spicy things. I've been preaching through First Timothy and specifically the roles of men and women, and I'm not really holding back. I try to give, I want to give it in a loving way. Uh, that may not always come across here. But I always try to give it specifically in person in a very loving way of like, I understand the challenges of people and why some of these things may be difficult. But I think the reception's been good. Here's here's my key to hot takes. I'm a therapist. My, In my opinion, the main role of a therapist is to understand the why. Why do you do what you do? Why are you acting this way, right? Why are you struggling with it? It goes back to trauma a lot of times. It goes back to, you know, negative core beliefs that were enforced by trauma or enforced by something else. It goes back to something that, you know, attachment issues. It goes back to, um, you know, a negative relationship you had in your life with with a friend. Whatever it is, there's always a why as to why we do what we do. And I'm fascinated with that question. And when we understand the why, the behavior begins to change. It gives something, it gives somebody something tangible. Instead of, let me give you a bunch of coping techniques to help you out of your anxiety. I don't, I'll give you a coping techniques for the first session. I want to know why you're anxious. I want to know why I went back, why you're depressed. If I don't know that, we're lost. There's no point for therapy. So I bring the same idea into hot takes, which is if my why is strong enough, I'll introduce it. If I think I can back it up, if I think that my my thoughts on it are fleshed out enough where I'm not shooting from the hip and it's like, oh, I haven't considered that point. Like most of the things that I introduce, like this was not cooked up yesterday. I've been thinking this for a long time and I've thought about every direction, every which way as to why I believe what I believe. When I'm able to back it up, that doesn't mean that it's right, but it does mean that I have a strong why. And if you can debate me on the why other than, oh, well, that's change and I don't like it. That's not a why. If you can tell me why it's wrong, I'm very open to listen. I'm very open to to and receptive to 
debate on these topics. Um, same thing with, with the VBS. If you can tell me why VBS is better, let's go for it. You know, I'd love to debate that. So far, it's, well, I really like it. I think it's good for the kids. That's not a why. I'm sorry. That's not that's not a strong why. My why is pretty strong as to why I think, you know, what you win them with is what you win them to. I got a re- million reasons why I think it's bad. So my approach to hot takes has always been, if my why is strong enough, I'll introduce it. I will try to introduce it, introduce it as lovingly as possible, and I will always leave room for discussion and debate on it. But you better come prepared on your side, not with some emotional response of, but it's always been this way. I don't care. Do you have Do you have a why? That's that's kind of my understanding. So how do we balance it? Well, I would say it's the, you have to balance it with grace. You have to balance it with love. You have to balance it with the fact that some people have never learned this. They don't know any better. And coming in and smoking them and being like, hey, why aren't you doing this? Look, no, no. I But I always kind of speak to the highest common denominator. I'm speaking to the person that maybe is more entrenched or that has always done things a certain way and I'm trying to get them to think in a different way than they have before. And so that's kind of my approach to it um, is I'm not speaking to the person who's just figuring things out. I'm speaking to the person who has been there a long time but they don't know why. They believe it. Well, I show up to church because my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather started the church. I don't care. Why does, why does Christianity matter to you? That's not a why. So I always encourage people, understand your why. Understand why you feel the way you feel emotionally. Understand why you think the way you do. Understand why you behave the way you behave. That's the cognitive triangle, right? Thoughts lead to emotions, lead to behaviors. But why do you think those things? Usually it's from past experiences, past traumas, positive experiences, um, whatever it may be. There's always a why. Get to the bottom of that. And that's and, and I know that's kind of a weird answer to the hot takes, but that no, really is it, kind of the basis it, of it. It makes sense because you don't want to be that guy who, like, stirs up controversy and goes, oh, just asking questions, just asking questions, just, at, you know, like. Right, right. No, here's the reason. Uh, and so I think that's, that's good. Um, do you have a sense of gas and brakes, push and pull? You know, like, okay, I'm going to – that's enough hot takes for now. Let me let you chew on that for a bit, and then I'll – you know, not like, because if, if every week you're showing up to church, like, ah, I think we should remove the pews, you know, like, well, hold on, right. hold on. What's going on? Here? Right. So, um, I'd like to think that I do because, you know, after these sermons, usually if I have a hot take sermon and I did three, four months ago, if I remember right, I had one and I thought, you know what, now it's time. I'm going to preach on some, preach on why the church is so amazing. You know, the the spiritual blessings found in the church. I'm going to preach on the love of God. I'm going to preach on the, you know, I may preach on the holiness of God and really step on some toes, but I'm also going to preach on the love of God. And so I try to recognize like, look, I can't peddle this stuff week after week after week. People will burn out. And the other thing is you got to give people, and I've learned this in therapy, you got to give people time to chew on some of these things. And this is why therapy once a week is really good is I'll introduce something usually toward the end and be like, what do you think about this? And they'll be like, uh, what? You know, I never thought of it that way. I'll be like, okay, well, just tell me what you think. Think on that. We'll come back next week. We'll discuss it. And a lot of times that week gives them some time to chew on it. And so I try to learn. Am I great at that? Not necessarily great at it, but I am learning, I think, more of like, okay, my church really needs some uplifting messages after that, some edifying lessons, right. things like that, where I'm not trotting it out. But if somebody asks, I will not steer away from controversy, but I will always give why I believe what I believe and tell them this is up, especially if it's open for interpretation. Here's my thoughts on it. Here's my study. But I would very much encourage you to go study this on your own and see because we may disagree and that's okay. I don't expect everybody. I don't. I also don't bind. Very few of my hot takes do I bind, quote unquote, and, and send. Look, if your church does VBS, go for it. I don't believe in it. I don't agree with it. That's fine. Uh, nobody's going to hell over this. Um, but I also think I'm, I'm just calling us to like, if the church stepped back from time to time, and this is, this is a little soapbox, but if the church stepped back from time to time, and just asked ourselves, why do we do what we do? I think our worship would look way different. I think the way we interact throughout the week would look way different. I think our Bible studies and sermons would look way different. I think so much would change if the church just asked why remove tradition. I'm not saying remove tradition completely. Tradition is really important in the right areas, but set it to the back burner for a second, set it to the side and just examine, is this the best we can be for God? Why do we do it this way? Why are we meeting? Well, we're meeting to glorify God. Is this the best way we're doing it? Is this the best way we know how to glorify God? Or is this just the way we've always done it? So you got to 
you got to bring people along slowly. You can't just go and start tearing down walls on that. But I also find you got to introduce those ideas at some point to get their mind churning. And then you come back around it later and maybe a, a month or two later in the men's meeting, you say, okay, so we introduced this. What are your guys' thoughts on this? And it gives them some time to say, okay, what do we think on it? Um, and that's that's been helpful. Yeah, that's one of the critiques we get. Can't you guys be more positive about the church on the podcast? And and we don't mean to be negative. Uh, just these questions yeah, no. of, of how we can do better. I, it, I think you and I are kind of built that way. It's a, our family. Every time we have Thanksgiving together, whatever, we sit around until one in the morning going, well, what about this? What about that? What about, you know, like just finding a better way, finding, you know, a more biblical way or whatever. Uh, but in the middle of that, you can't forget, hey, things are really great and we're tinkering with 1%, you know, not re-overhauling the, the whole thing. So, um, all right, third round, your turn. Third round, okay. Church Reset came out three years ago, I think. Two and a half, um, yeah. Two and a half years ago. Is there anything you would change? Looking back on it, you've had a lot of feedback You've got a lot of people that have come up and talked to you about it. You've given seminars on this. You have written more blog articles on it. You've gotten some pushback, I think, in some areas. And some things that you have tried at your own church that that I think COVID kind of killed, unfortunately, um, in a lot for a lot of people, this is the case. Is there any part of it that you would modify, change, walk back, or restructure? I'd add... Um... Somebody, I mentioned this on our What Would You Change About the Church uh, episode that we did in the Church Reset series a couple months ago. Uh, what Would You Change? And, and one of the things was a very set protocol for church discipline. Uh, somebody had mentioned, why didn't you have a church discipline chapter? I, I would have, I would do that. In fact, in, in an updated edition, maybe a, a five-year edition or whatever, um, uh, yeah, maybe maybe add a chapter on that. Um because of the fences thing I talked about last time. So I'm not going to go too far into the church discipline thing. Again, we did an episode where I covered that in depth. The other side is I've I've joked about this before. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. The The biggest thing I came out of COVID with is I'm a lot more of an elitist. And I don't mean that in a snobby way. I mean that in a God set shepherds over the church, the society, the home, you know, uh, leadership. Leadership is part of God's plan. It's baked into the entire world. I mean, the church is a hierarchy. God, you know, himself takes on that hierarchy of Jesus emptying himself and all that of, you know, uh, just obedience and, and all that goes into that. And I think we have a very bad individualistic streak in the church. Uh, basically, I'm not going to listen to my elders. I'm going to do what I want. If I don't like them, if I disagree with them, I'm going to badmouth them, leave, you know, do do my own thing. Um, when I say elitist, I mean not only do we need leaders, we need strong, competent leaders who exercise that role. And, and not in a democracy sense of look around, oh, what do you guys want to do? Like, I was placed here with this commission to do the right thing. I, I, I got at this a little bit in the preacher thing. It's not just something you're paid to do. It's something God put you here to do this. And that's what Paul is hammering to Timothy and, and to Titus to a lesser degree of do your job. You owe this to God. This He uses that word a few times to Timothy, entrusted. The things that were entrusted to you, entrusted to me. It's God put something really valuable in your hand. I was teaching this the other day, and it's like, if a friend handed you $10,000 and said, I need you to get this back to me next week, you'd be really, really, really careful with it. You would handle it. You you would always know where it was. You know, you, you wouldn't just leave it laying around or whatever else. And so this, this leadership, elitism kind of thing is... We need elders and preachers, you know, who are taking the shepherding thing. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier. Go into people's lives. Like, this is my job. I am going to insert myself into your life. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to look at the Bible. I'm going to open up the word. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to make a decision. You know, they say you got to close your church for the next six months. Look at your Bible, man. And, and like, say, this is what we're going to do. And that's just how it's going to be. And we're going to adapt and we're going to take your feedback and, and we want to hear you. But on the other hand, the buck stops with me. We talked about this in our, our marriage episodes and, and our, our male female episodes as the man, the buck stops with you. So you better make a decision you can live with. Not one that's going to make her happy, but the one that you think in your heart is right because you're going to give an account for it. As a parent, you're going to give an account for the way you raise your kid. As an elder, as a preacher, you're going to give an account for these things that you do. And so do it really well in a way that you can be comfortable with before God, not what you think people want out of you. And and I think that approach, that, that strong leadership, not domineering, uh, I think we think strong leadership is domineering, um, 
no, no. Strong leadership is for the good of the people, but also not letting the people just choose for themselves all the time. Because that's why God instituted leadership, is people need leaders. Most people aren't cut out to be leaders. Most, you know, and that's why the the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor and, uh, you know, give honor to those who uh, lead you because they're going to give an account for your souls. All these scriptures are Hebrews 13, 17. And, um, you know, that there is that elitism is a bad word for it, but I think you know what I'm saying. That's, that's baked into God's plan and we need to do it well. And I think I undersold that in church reset because church reset is everybody has a part to play and we do but that only works at its best when the leadership is really firing when the leadership is really and honestly we talked about you know i'm I'm on my last week of preaching when this episode releases it will have happened yesterday i'm not a pulpit minister anymore because i'm not up to it i'm i just that's uh and there's there's Five to ten major reasons that all of them combining uh, the birth of twins, I don't, I can't effectively minister and take care of my family at the same time. And there's just all kinds of things going on. But one of the biggest ones is I've I've looked at this, like what God requires First and Second Timothy out of leaders, out of that commitment, out of if you're going to step up and take this role, you had better be on top of your game. You know, the the qualifications of elders, there's a reason they're so lofty. And our tendency is to go, man, that's really lofty. Let's water that down a little bit. Nope. Nope. No. If they can't hit what is set there, they're not qualified because this is an elite position and not in a I'm better than you way, but in a this is really hard and we need somebody who's going to take it seriously. So, well, you know, you don't you don't take the Navy SEALs and make it a, uh, you know, if you can do five push-ups, well, you're in. Look what's happening where they're, they're doing so they, that kind of stuff to military. Right. Let's lower the bar to get more people in. No. I, I mean, look at the quality of presidents, you know, in decline from George Washington to where we've come in the last 50 years, you know, worth of presidents. And it's just, this is what happens, you know, when, I mean... Yeah, I, I, and that's something I've I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years is reading a lot of political elite theory and and you know things like that. Of you're always going to have elites. You want them to be good elites who care about the people and are, and take responsibility for them, rather than people who are there. And this is what Jesus was dealing with when he talked about the blind shepherds, right? And and you're getting rich at their expense. You know you are taking the money from the people. You're taking the glory and walking around, and you want everybody to think how great you are, but you're not there to serve the people. And he said, this is being taken away from you because you're blind shepherds. Uh, I'm going to come and shepherd my own people because you're not you, you're not getting the job done. And so um, that's something I think we need to take incredibly seriously is the quality of our leaders. And, you know, the leaders we have now, but also Brad talks about this a lot. And we always talk about, you know, young men. Oh, you need to be a preacher. You don't you need to be a preacher or you need to you need to go be a preacher. Most of them don't. That's what everyone told me and you. Okay, you know, and I'm not mad at them for doing it, but teach young men, be an elder, train to be an elder, prepare yourself to be an elder. And if they can be a preacher along the way, okay, cool. But what we need is every young man growing up in the church preparing to be an elder, every young woman preparing to be an elder's wife. That doesn't mean they're all going to make it there. Circumstances sometimes are out of your control. To the degree that it is in your control, be growing in that direction. That's the way that I preach. I've been preaching through First Timothy, like I said. First Timothy two nine and following is all about. It's for every woman, right? You can't just say that's the elite. You can't just, like that's that's what every woman ought to aspire to and and look toward. He transitions to elders and deacons in chapter three, and I think there's this this tendency to be like, oh well, that's elders deacons. I don't want to be one of those, so I don't fall into it. It's like whoa whoa whoa. Chapter two is for every woman, right? So chapter three, I think, is what every man should be aspiring to look like. Now, not every man aspires to the office. That's the first thing he says, right? If he aspires to find work he desires to do, not every man's going to do that, but every man ought to be looking to fulfill those qualifications. And I think if we did, we'd have churches full of men that were qualified. And right now, you're lucky to find one or two in, in these churches. I would still say it's still going to be the minority. I mean, he says a lot, sure. you know, in James, not let not many of you become teachers. This Again, there is kind of a the few, the proud kind of thing. Um, and that's okay. But like you're saying, as far as men of virtue, men of honor, even if you are going to be a follower, you're going to be a better follower if you're somebody who's developing these qualities. Well, what man should should not be above reproach? What man should not be addicted to wine, pugnacious, right? What man should, should or, or should be those things? What man? So if you take the opposite, it's like, no, every one of these, what man should not be hospitable? 
Every one of those things is what man should be. Now, uh, once again, he's got to aspire to it. Not every man is the husband of one wife. Not every man has faithful kids. There's things that, and that's why we always go to those. But every man should look, I think, the rest of the way. And like you said, it's a few of the proud. But man, if we had people, it's kind of like if every man aspired to have the, the physical um, body of a Marine. Uh, well, yeah, not everybody be a Marine, but there'd be a lot healthier people. And I would say it's the same there where Every man should be aspiring to that, and we should be teaching our young men. You're going to grow up, and and we talked about this a couple podcasts ago, maybe one or two, I can't remember. But this idea of stop hoping that, man, if my kid just stays faithful, it's like, no, you need to train your kid to be a warrior. You need to train your kid to be the next leader in the church. He's going to be the next elder. He's going to, you know, do amazing things, and that your daughter is going to grow up and be the best elder's wife that she possibly can be. Like, don't settle for cheap. And that's a different episode. We've talked about that. But I do think, I think that's a fantastic answer about the church reset. That's more what I was looking for is if there's anything, I think that's great. Anything you'd hit maybe a little harder. And I know COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of people. People stopped meeting in their homes even more, more so than, you know, what they were previously doing. But it changed the dynamic for a lot of people. But I think you hit the nail on the head with maybe pushing the hierarchy and maybe, like you said, elitism, though that's not maybe the... People are going to hear that and go, oh, that's horrible and get turned off from it. And please just listen to the words Jack's saying. Like, it's not about being better than somebody. We understand Galatians 3. Like, we're all we're all one in Christ. We're all the same in terms of equality, you know, value to that's, Christ. That's what you're having to balance because, you know, a lot of what I hit at in Church Reset was everybody bringing something to the table. We're a body. The body can't say, I need some parts and I don't need some parts. And and so there's those scriptures that you need. And then there's the ones about leadership and, and the need for good leadership and eldership and, you know, what, what Timothy and Titus covers and, and elsewhere. And so uh, it's not that the Bible contradicts itself. It's that in some senses, it's we need every part. And, you know, that's what Ephesians 4 is talking about is that he gave these leadership roles to equip everybody else for the work, but there's still those leadership roles. There's still those people that are needed, and, and they are the driving force. I mean, uh, of everything that's going to happen, if it's going to happen in the church, it's because those people are driving well. You know, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, uh, uh, elders, um, that he uh, lays out there in Ephesians 4, 11 and following. All right. Um, the last final thing. Final round. Final question. Yeah. Uh, this is going to lead actually a little bit into... A uh, new project you and Will are rolling out here very soon. Um, I don't think we're going to tell everyone about it just yet because it's not ready just yet, but it is for young men. I'll, I'll uh, hint at that. What's something, uh, this is a, a big focus of your work. You talk about pornography addiction, but you're also, you know, doing this new project for young men. What's something you would, one thing you would tell yourself 15 years ago? If you got a chance to talk to yourself <laughs> 15 years ago, the first thing oh, you would man. say and and that would put you at 13 14 years old um there's a lot of 13 14 year olds there's a lot of parents of 13 14 year olds listening i guess i should say um what would again one thing the first thing you would just say is do this right now or think this or believe this or change this or develop better relationships with men with other with other men like with your dad, with other, um, yeah, with other godly men, like allow yourself to be mentored, learn from them. Um, I think there's a lot of cocky as I was cocky, 13, 14, 15 year olds that, yeah, you know, that's dad. We got a good relationship, but you know, we kind of, we, it's in sports or whatever else. And I was just talking to Alyssa about this. So it's interesting you bring this up because I was telling her, I need to shift my work. I think from not shift. I, I want to continue with those who are into pornography, right? Like work, helping them work through it, helping them get out of it. But I think I need to have more of an emphasis on helping people stay out of it. And we were talking about like, okay, how would you do that? It's so prevalent. Like every kid's running across it. You got a 98% chance by the time you turn 18 to have run across pornography. I would say that's a hundred percent chance, but statistically, right? So, I mean, you got just a very high chance that you're going to run across it. How do you keep kids out of it? And the thing that I kept coming back to, we were talking about a few different options. The thing I kept coming back to is I think better personal relationships with men and specifically with, with your dad. Um, not all dads are up for it. Not all dads, you know, make the time for it. Not all dads are, are easy to, to come to with your problems. Find another man that would, because I was thinking like, that's the part that's missing is yes, the unconditional love, but also this like 
so many young men that I talked to and older men lacked that. They just lacked it. They, they thought they suffered alone in their porn addiction. They didn't talk to anybody. They didn't tell anybody about it. But they also lacked a depth of relationship with other men that's like, yeah, we talk about sports or we talk about guns or we talk about whatever else because that's what boys do. That's what men do. Like, no, you ought to be talking about spiritual struggles. You ought to be getting mentored. You ought to have them take you alongside and go fishing with you and, and really like train you up in the ways of Christ. And so I would say pursue that with everything you have because mentorship is going to be absolutely key and you need an older man who is not lambasting you for for you know struggling in whatever ways you're struggling but who's saying hey here's a better way you know you're still worthy of love you're always worthy of love that's something that I can't take away from you that's god given but here's a better way to do it that's the nature of this thing that Will and I are working on um is coming from a place of love but just hoping to be able to help in that mentorship role we're really excited about it. We've established, you know, we shot the shot the promo that'll be coming out soon. Um, but yeah, I think that would be the piece of advice is please work at and look to develop. And this would be also to the dads listening. Your relationship with your son. Yeah, with your daughters is important. I understand it. That's, that's real important, especially the men they marry. There's the man, this is going to sound bad, might get me into, into hot water. Here we go. The dad is the single most important person in society. Yeah, I know the the hand that rocks the cradle, you know, uh, rules the world and, and moms, moms, moms. Look, at the end of the day, the dad is the single most important. I think God established it this way. That's going to hurt a lot of women out there. They're going to go, how, how dare you? Look, look at the the communities that are fatherless. The jail rate, the crime rate, everything that that it shoots, it skyrockets. It's because women are fantastic at nurturing. They're fantastic at, at, you know, a lot of different things, especially at the younger age. They need a mom who is there for them. Attachment is, is mainly with the mom we know from attachment theory. But I'll tell you what really skyrockets a guy into the stratosphere. And the guys that I know that are porn free, that never looked at it, had a really, really good relationship with their dad, where their dad talked to him all the time. Every topic was on the table. Um, they were mentored. They were studied with biblically. Um, you know, they did cool things together. They were mentored, and they didn't need to run to porn to run away from their attachment issues or from their traumas or whatever else because their dad was present. That is, and, and that's not putting it all on the dads. Again, there's, there's, I love my dad to death, but there was also, he's working a lot. Um, there were things that I wouldn't say, and we've established a much better relationship as I've gotten older, but even at that time, like, I didn't feel I could go to him with some of these things. So to the dads out there, I would give them the advice of establish really strong relationships with your sons. With your daughters is important, like I said, because they may go out and they may run to the first uh, male figure of love. And that's going to be the punk that rides a Harley motor, you know, a Harley Davidson and, and the kind of the tropes that we have. But truly, you get some women that really run into the arms of punks because the relationship with the dad is not good. You also see, we also see this in therapy, sorry this is going long, but you also see this in therapy that those who struggle with their relationship with their earthly father have a really tough time coming to God and, and with their relationship with their spiritual father because it wasn't modeled for them. Well, it'll mirror and that. Exactly, it'll mirror it. You think that, that your dad is distant, you'll think God's distant. You, you think, think you your have dad's to perform. Uh, yeah, right, you got to perform, you'll have to perform for God. Right. Is is your dad abusive? You'll think that God's abusive. He's very mean. He's waiting to strike you down at any moment. I right. mean, those things, it carries across. And so the dad, I think, is the single most important. So for the dads, understand that. For the kids, it's going to be difficult. Your dad may not fully be there. Pursue that to the best of your ability. And if your dad's unwilling to do it, find another male that will that will mentor you, that will take you under his wing, that will take you fishing, that will take you hiking, that will do some manly manly things that, and you can start being open with about your sins and struggles and everything else. Um, that That's the number one piece of advice I'd give. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Michael Foster had a book, uh, It's Good to Be a Man, where I mean, that's kind of his premise is that we've got two generations of functionally fatherless men, whether their dads are alive and around or not. They just weren't there for them in those things. Uh, you're gonna make me uh, break out my my Jordan Peterson impression here, but oh no, you know, gotta, uh, <laughs> you gotta I'm not it. gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not you gotta do it. do it. No, you gotta. It's actually pretty good. If the think deeper listeners, if the deep thinkers want to hear it, they're gonna have to ask for it in person. I I'm, have I'm sung not doing this on the over. podcasts. That nobody I asked you to do that. No, no, that's. Uh, I embarrass myself for the sake of clicks. Okay, exactly. You need to do the same. 
hot takes with Joe, impressions with Joe. I will uh, continue to be the right. steady voice of reason, especially since Will's not here this week, the guy that keeps us uh, level. Uh, and so, yeah, that's um, true. All right, uh, there it is for our short episode, an hour and four. Um, I hope this was interesting to you guys. This is not something we're going to do very often, obviously. Uh, just kind of desperate measures uh, in, in uh, very uh, rushed circumstances, but uh, we, we still want to get an episode out. I think we, we touched on some interesting stuff here, uh, good questions. And uh, as always, we love to hear from you, comments, uh, YouTube, Facebook. Um, and again, we're, we're going to announce it next week because it's almost ready to roll out. Uh, and there will be a, yeah, just a whole rollout for Joe and Will's new project. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I think it is a huge benefit to the church for uh, for young men, especially, uh, which is uh, an area of desperate need, as we just talked about. So uh, stay tuned for that as I drop my pen for the 18th time. I was going to say, uh, time's charm. Yeah. Um, and we will talk to you guys next week.